0: You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for This Justin, the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes.
1: Thank you for tuning in and welcome to This Justin. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In this half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Justin Studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. For this episode, my 107th episode, we're going to speak with an industry colleague, Terry McAleer, President U.S. Market of Orion Health. Welcome to the show, Terry.
0: Thanks, Justin. Appreciate your opportunity to have me on, on the show this morning. Thank you.
1: No, thank you very much. So we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, but I believe we've both been in the industry for a long time. So uh, but before we dive into all the good things that we probably have in common in in health, I.T. and healthcare in general, tell us a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up, go to college, start your career?
0: Well, a lot of my colleagues will tell you I haven't grown up, but I was raised in suburban Pennsylvania and went from there to Princeton University. And graduated from there and went right into health IT. And I've been in it ever since. Excellent.
1: So what company did you start off with?
0: It was called Shared Medical Systems. Sure. I actually started there before I graduated from college. They had no customers, they had no product that worked. They had an idea. And if you look at what they would call that idea today, it's a SaaS-based offering for healthcare IT. I remember it. It was remote hosted. The yep. customers owned no software, no hardware. They paid a monthly service fee. And we grew it to a billion dollars before we sold it.
1: Yeah. SMS. I remember SMS vividly in the in the mid-90s. That's great. I was with HBO and company at the time. Horsham? Is it, was it Malvern, Pennsylvania or Horsham, Pennsylvania? Malvern? Malvern, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Excellent. That's terrific. So you're also with a company that I have a strong affinity for. Obviously, I love the SMS guys and the SMS team. They were fantastic. Uh, and I remember them, you know, back in the day. and Oh, boy. Graham King and and a bunch of those guys. But um, you also worked with Eclipsis, right? What was your role there? And tell us about that, your time there.
0: Well, interesting story about Eclipsis. I was at SMS Mm -hmm. and we could see where the market was headed. From a technology standpoint, it was time to get off the mainframe and get on to what at the time in the mid 90s was the hot new technology called client server. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we want, we wanted to convert SMS from client from mainframe to client server and the chairman wouldn't go for it. So one of the founders of SMS and I left SMS mm-hmm. and together we formed eclipses. Mm-hmm. And our notion was pretty simple. We thought it was time that that technology would allow us to put it between the physician and the patient at the point of care. Mm-hmm. So we founded the company on the notion of building, first building computerized physician order entry with a robust clinical decision support system with it and take that to market. So it was the first thing we built. So we built a product that could do that extraordinarily well. And we we had a really good run. The first two years, nobody wanted it, so it was a little, little difficult, but it gave us the time to really mature the product. and then. When the Institute of Medicine came out and said, "Oh, we're killing 100,000 patients a year due to yeah. preventable medical mistakes," all of a sudden we were selling them like hotcakes. We couldn't <laughs> install them fast enough. We ended up in all the academic medical centers. It was a great run.
1: Yeah, no, I, I remember. I remember Java beans. Was that where the technology? Did you guys use Java
0: back in the day? We, Am I right? We did. Yeah, jo- we'd use Java beans. We did a <laughs> lot of lot of lot of technology, but it was a great run because. The competitors tried to bolt on yeah. CPOE, if you if you let me yeah. call it that, yeah. on, under their EMRs, and as a result, they couldn't do half the stuff we could do. Right. We had a really good run. Yeah.
1: And what year did you leave the Uh it was about 2000, 2000,
0: end of 2000, 2001. Okay. We did a we did an IPO in uh, 1998, oh. and I had a I had a two year covenant on it. Yep. Um, late 98, so. Pretty much two years in a day, I retired. I tell people I looked in the book and it says if you've had two IPOs in your life, you must retire. So I did. (laughs) That's fantastic. I've only and I moved to Scottsdale and I was playing golf.
1: That's fantastic. I've actually only had one IPO under my belt, so um, I and I certainly have another one in me. I I would agree. So that's excellent. So. Obviously, congratulations to the new post with Orion, and we will certainly uh, dive into that but i also I also like to tackle you know the thought leadership. I know that you have a lot obviously in healthcare being a true veteran from the industry um, and, and our industry is evolving and and we all know some of the the maturations that we 're going through the directions that we 're taking, but I would love to get your take on diet based care and and how you see the market evolving here
0: well that 's a question a lot of people are asking. Mm-hmm. Nobody has a crystal ball, right? But I have had a lot of success anticipating the market, yep. Um, and and building products that mature about the time the market matures. So I do have a, a vision of where I think value-based care is going. If you take it to its extreme, uh, it basically says you got to keep the consumer at home and healthy. Keep them home, keep them healthy is kind mm-hmm. of the mantra. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Is the is the real trick, and the vision I have for a physician, whether it's five years from now, or three years or seven years, I'm a physician, I'm in my office, and I don't have a waiting room full of patients right. uh, waiting to see me. and I don't have three physician assistants that are teeing them up for me to spend my 12 minutes with them. I'm at my desk, and I've got this huge population health engine that's given me the 20, 25 alerts and notifications today of consumers that need some kind of intervention, mm-hmm. otherwise they're going to end up in the ED or the operating room or whatever. So my physician assistants are reaching out to do interventions to prevent these people from getting sick, and so it's a much different model. And to do that, you need what's what people are today are calling big data, but they don't. A lot of people don't realize what that means. Right. People today think big data is all this clinical data and all this claims data. That's about 10% of what you're going to need. So you need a system to be able to hold 10 times that amount of data. And so, from a healthcare IT position, that's where the market needs to get to, where they can really scale up to have that kind of, of data. It's not just clinical and claims, but it's social data and all kind of other other data points that you need to keep your patient or consumer getting home, keep them healthy.
1: Yeah, I actually could not agree more. I've got a couple. I sit on a couple of boards, and that's the direction that we're going, um, even outside of the U.S. market. So uh, it's refreshing to hear it from you. So. What are some of the best practices? I mean, what is a practical next step? My show, you know, this Justin Radio is about really best practices, practical next steps that any body in healthcare can make or do or take to be successful. So, what are some of the things? When you say, you know, this big data and, and setting this all up, what are two or three things that an average health system or even physician practice should do or could do next to be successful, or at least begin in the right direction or stay in the right direction?
0: Well, they need to go down the path of creating that, what I call super big data, Mm -hmm. database. So you need to get a platform in place today that can do some of the stuff you need for quality measures and HEDIS reporting and performance measures and that kind of stuff, uh, and some population health stuff. But you need to have a platform that's going to be able to handle this vision five, six, seven years from now. Most of the systems today are built on technology, Mm -hmm. relational databases, hierarchical databases that won't support that. So get yourself aligned with a a, a healthcare IT vendor that's got a platform built for that new value-based care world that could scale up and, and, and get your workflows today all automated so that as the market matures, you don't have to rip things out and start over again.
1: No, that's excellent. So... What would you say for um, that's a, I guess that's probably you know recommended across all markets. But after you set up, say, a big data um, platform and you have access to you know what I say is actionable intelligence, how do you I mean obviously you recommend doing you know segmentation, you gotta, uh, patient segmentation. You've got to look at disease states. You have got to look across you know what best practices can you implement you know using technology. You know, looking at, again, certain segments of your population that uh, you need to slice out, that you need to manage differently. Chronic care, obviously, a significant issue. Managing multiple chronic conditions within, you know, patient bases and so forth. What are some of your thoughts there? Diving a little bit deeper.
0: Well, I mean, you're going to be doing that stuff. but You can do a lot of that today. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But what what the future is going to hold is you're going to have other kinds of data you don't have today, whether it's social data. Right. Whether it's, you know the data from your wearables, the data from your, your local gym, how often you've been to the gym. There's all kind of other data points that you're going to need over time. So yeah, you can do this. this a lot of people do that stuff today, you know, right. keep track of my diabetes patients and segment my CHF patients. Um, but when you get a lot more data points, then you're going to have a lot more interventions that you can do to keep people healthy. I mean, if you look at Look at our market today. If you're really, really, really sick, mm-hmm. you want to be in the U.S. Right. If you don't want to get sick, live somewhere else, right? I mean, if you look at, at where we stack up worldwide in our healthcare system, I know last time I looked, we were 22 or 25 or something, Yes. yet we spend more than anybody else. So other places have figured this out and we need to figure it out. And if we can get to the vision I described and how a physician's going to work down the road, I think we can teach the world how to do healthcare the other way around. Right.
1: No, actually, you bring up a great point. I'm glad we kind of dove in deeper there because all that social data is going to be key to a person's individual health record. And how do we manage that? How do you consume that? How do you manage that, view that, utilize that um, to not only enhance the patient's life, allow them to thrive in their health, but then also you, you thrive as a care provider. You, know, you thrive as a payer uh, for that matter. So uh, excellent, excellent yeah. points.
0: Well, yeah, if you think about it, what does a physician need today to make a living? Hmm. She needs a continuous supply of sick people. Right. Well, what if what a physician needed to make a decent living was a continuous supply of healthy people? That's a, that's a, a vision that we need to get to. That's fantastic. Agree. So
1: what drew you to this new post at Orion?
0: Well, we talked a little bit about eclipses, where I was able to—not I, but we—were able to anticipate the market by a couple of years, mm-hmm. and and kind of gut it out for a couple of years until the market matured, and and we were there for it. I see a, a similar opportunity here at Orion Health. I see the same kind of trans—you know, same level of transformation coming into the healthcare system that's going to require new and innovative HIT solutions. And when I look at where I think the market's going, and when I look at what Orion says their strategic vision is, I see those two absolutely intersecting at the right point in time. So, I I thought that vision and strategy was spot on to where I think the market's going, and uh, the company's got a number of those pieces already put together, and if Orion can execute over time, they're going to have a a solution that's going to be somewhat dominant in that new world of value-based care. So,
1: yeah, let's dive into that a little bit. And I don't want to certainly an Orion commercial here, but I do want to know more about Orion's strategy in that, because actually I don't know Orion too well. certainly know the brand. They have a fantastic brand. Um, but uh, what are the what, – or what's going to be your key focus here in the U.S. market?
0: Well, there's a couple of target markets that we're very good at, and we need to continue to evolve in those markets as the healthcare system changes. The, the HIE market is very strong for us. The ACO, ACO market's very strong for us. Mm-hmm. We've made some real inroads with the payer market. Uh, of course, Orion is very well versed in its interoperability, right? So that helps us in all those markets uh, gather the data, the kind of data we need. So those those are the real focus right now. That doesn't say it won't evolve over time, but that's the focus right now. So we're building systems with the markets going to one, three, four years down the road, and we're delivering stuff that's got a lot of value today.
1: Excellent. So for those just tuning in, we're speaking with Terry McAleer, Orion Health's new president for the U.S. market. So, Terry, let's dive a little bit into one of your passions around precision medicine. Um, and uh, what's the viability in the market today for precision medicine? And in basically, how do you convince patients and providers that now is the time to embrace the concept? Because they have so much in front of them. They have so much that they're managing But I personally know precision medicine is a great technology and innovation in the future of healthcare. But how do we, you know, what's your thought on it and how do we get it in front of patients and providers better?
0: Well, I don't think there's a huge market for it today. But if you want to get to where value based care takes you Mm -hmm. and you want to keep them home and keep them healthy, it's going to be fundamental. Because as we all know, these drugs come out Mm -hmm. and 20 percent of the population is going to have an adverse reaction or no reaction and get sicker or have an adverse reaction and get even sicker yet. So that physician's gonna wanna be able to tell ahead of time, I don't wanna give this patient the best practice med because of the precision medicine data that I have here. And more and more people are getting their their DNA analyzed and their genomes done. So um, again, you need a platform that can store all that data. And I don't think very many of the current big data HIT companies have a platform big enough to store that kind of data.
1: No, very, very true. And I agree that it's it's may not, you know, the viability may not be 100% there today, but I do know that, you know, a lot of my peers, even on the the patient side, but then also my peers on the healthcare side, the provider side, you know, really are marching in this direction. We can, I think, you know, personally, I've just seen how we can sharpshoot Um, healing, wellness, through understanding our DNA, through understanding our bodies better, using, I I believe it's the definition of precision technology because I have a very broad definition. I think that when we start focusing in on the patients and we are slicing and dicing data, we're slicing and dicing treatments, we're really, you know, kind of honing in, you know, with crosshairs, on, um, on how our bodies operate individually, not as a mass, uh, but we start to understand, again, our DNA sequences, what drugs work with us, what drugs really do not, what allergies that we have, you know, even the whole gluten aspects. I think we, you know, we create wellness fairly quickly and we create um, health much more quickly than ever before. And I consider a lot of that under the world of precision medicine. I a, again, I have a personal Why? definition. but
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. And I have a personal story about that as well. Please. Uh, you know, I, I just spent about eight or nine months in a relaxing mode. Mm-hmm. I was in the gym three days a week with a personal trainer, and I got about as healthy as I've been in the last 10 or 15 years. I went to my physician, and he's like, wow, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> but my best practice says somebody your age and your body weight, you need to be on the statin. Your cholesterol is fine. Yep. But best practices, and I assume that meant his performance measures, right? Yep. You need to be on the, I need, so I need to prescribe a statin for you, but my cholesterol is fine. Right. And the bottom line was, I didn't, my DNA didn't need that statin, right? I was just, I had a DNA that was not, you know, not typical. So he prescribed the statin, I went to the pharmacy and I bought it, hmm. and it's been on the shelf ever since. I'm <laughs> not taking a single pill. Yeah. Um, but the precision medicine could have trumped that best practice. Yes. And, they save, save a lot of waste. Yeah. And, you know, how many how many people like me would have actually taken those pills? Many of them. Most. So I think I think precision medicine's got a real role here to play. Yeah.
1: No, I, I agree. And I have a personal story even from last week where my 93 year old grandmother was um, admitted to the ER. And I actually had to hop on a plane and go up and visit her. That's actually why our, our interview was was a little bit delayed. But um, uh, bottom line is their best practice told told them, uh to, to give her uh this very strong um morphine. But all she really had was indigestion through some bad food that she ate. But uh they treated they over treated her. And I get it. And and this is just part of and I and this part of this is defensive medicine. Part of this is trying to you know keep your satisfaction ratings and, and comforting my grandmother. But what actually happened after that, and thankfully I was there was you know, significant issues of dealing with a very strong op- opioid in your body, and obviously, you know, constipation and so forth. And a 93-year-old woman that actually scares them. So actually, their best practice was not very good, and that certainly did not bode well for her body. Um, and uh, and so I, you know, I think we're both on the same page where we can be doing a lot better in precision medicine that's going to do wonders uh, for our country. And Probably save us billions and billions and billions of dollars and billions you know, on one side, but then even billions and billions of dollars of side effect issues on the other side. So, uh, you know, very, very hopeful there.
0: It's just going to take some really big data systems to be able to support that. And, and, and they will, they will evolve. The compl- we'll find a way to
1: them. Yeah, I completely agree. So it actually naturally leads us into another Conversation. I know that you've got some thoughts here as well on regulatory policy. You know, what do you think the the effects or any hindrances on precision medicine can come from regulatory policy? What are your thoughts there?
0: Well, I think regulatory policy can get in the way of best practices, can get in the way of precision medicine. And the example I just gave you of a physician chasing the performance measures, right, uh, which is really which is really chasing the dollar, which you know they should do, um, can it, 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 it intersect with good precision medicine and good good care. Uh, now admittedly those performance measures aren't aren't value based care it's part of the transition to try and get there. But it's kind of in the way of a lot of uh-huh. progress we could make in in how we deliver health care. Yep. Especially if you if you consider the vision I I've, I've played yep. performance measures could really be a, a problem. The, the real performance measure needs to be how healthy are they? Right. right. Not Did you give them this drug for that diagnosis or did you do this for that? But what did you do to keep them healthy? That should be the performance measure. So the regulatory stuff, I think, is going to be in the way for a while.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I actually spent uh, 15 years on Capitol Hill and um, I I couldn't agree more. That was a a full time job navigating, educating and then navigating policy, but then also educating on what policy works, what policy is going to get in the way. Um, It was a blessing to be there, but I'm I'm very happy I'm not there (laughs) any longer. Um, but, uh, but let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned population health, um, being a core focus for Orion, um, and this is a competitive market. So, you know, with, uh, with EHRs offering, you know, onboard patient population features and, and, uh, features like that, you know, how does, how do you make Orion stand out in this really crowded market and with a lot of crowded messaging?
0: Well, it's pretty easy, actually. If you look at the EMR vendors, they're trying to bolt on population health. They've got conflicting priorities. They've got an EMR business that's huge that they've got to continue to feed with more and more R&D, more and more research, more and more resources, and they're gonna bolt on a population health thing. But a lot of the current customers that I see out there are saying, I'd like to have a nice agnostic system that takes data from all EMRs and all payers and, and all other sources that I can get and put it on a platform that'll work. So I think the differentiation is pretty simple. You need, you need an agnostic uh, population health uh, source so that you can mm-hmm. be more nimble in population health than an EMR vendor who's got conflicting priorities. And you can be much more uh, agnostic in terms of your interoperability. Yeah, no, excellent.
1: So you mentioned crystal ball earlier in the uh, in the show. And so let's look into your crystal ball, Uh, your HIMSS 18 annual conference crystal ball. It's coming up uh, in several months, but a lot of us are planning for it now. It's going to be in lovely Las Vegas. Uh, But what do you see as the main or new resonating themes that we're going to see this year? I assume HIMSS is always on your schedule, at least when you're in the industry. You went to the HIMSS annual conference.
0: Yeah, I've been, to, I've been to a dozen or so. I didn't go last year, but I've been most before that, most of them. Yeah, I've been to a lot of them. Okay. And, I mean, what's, what's hot today with healthcare IT? Of course, security is hot. Right. That's a big one. Yep. So I expect to see a lot about that. Um, I think the pop health and, and it, with precision medicine needs to be a, a focus. I'd be surprised if that's not a big hitter there. Mm-hmm. It seems to be, you know, what's going on. And that all depends on how many of the health systems have, have ACOs. Some do, some don't. A lot of the ACOs are independent. So don't know how much play you'll get there. Yeah. No, I think you're.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think we're going to. I agree with you. I think we're going to see more. We, we touched on machine learning and our artificial intelligence last year. I think we're going to see a lot more um, this year and evolutions in that. Alexa is really picking up steam. I know companies like Lenovo and others have been in bed. Some really cool innovations. You already mentioned in, in kind of a, at a, at a on the outskirts, but really the bedless hospital in a way. And that's I have a think tank coming up here and about 50 thought leaders coming together to talk about, you know, these future trends and diet-based care and connected health and virtual care. And and one of them is the bedless hospital. And how do you and how? But then back to what you you know started off the show with is how do you? How do you get paid for a bedless hospital? And that is really where the, a lot of the policy comes into play. And we're actually going to have some of those talks uh, at the conference, annual conference this year. We're going to we're actually going to host a think tank there at the conference. But I think it actually touches very well into some of the areas that you've already brought up. So I think you're spot
0: on. Well, it it is a bit of a it is a bit of a dilemma because a number of health systems have tried to you know create a health plan and they find out that's a lot harder road yes. than they thought. Yep. So. Being a health plan isn't necessarily the answer to how you're going to make money keeping them healthy, but it's going to have to evolve over time.
1: Yeah, I'm actually sitting. That's one of the big
0: um,
1: participants in my think tank next month is UPMC. And they actually they are a payer and also a provider. So that's exactly, uh, you know, what they're going to be speaking on and giving their, their uh, two
0: cents. So I agree with you there. Um, at the same time, at the same time, Northwell just bailed out of their plan, for shutting it down. Yeah, actually, and that's a huge point. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Northwell actually will be there as well. I have my think tank. And so I'm going to have actually have them kind of talk about where they are and kind of how they got to where they are. So now I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so we've about a minute left. And, and but I love this question. I always ask this of all my guests to close out the show. What is your favorite place to get or be inspired?
0: Actually, it's Sedona, Arizona. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I lived here before, I was up there about every six weeks. Yeah. And now that I'm back here, I'll be up there
1: probably this weekend. That's fantastic. It's a beautiful place. I mean, hiking and just some great resorts and great food. And that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, we, we do a lot of hiking up there. We've hiked about every trail, and every mountain there is up there. Just <laughs> love it.
1: Terrific. Well, Terry, great to have you as my guest today. And I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join the show.
0: Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. We'll have to have you back as well. And hopefully I'll see you at Hymns 18 if not sooner. I'll be there. Ah, excellent. And thanks everyone to listening uh, for listening today and joining us. Please tune in weekdays, 2:30 p.m. Eastern, 11:30 a.m. Pacific. As always, you can track me on Twitter at hitadvisor and use the hashtag ThisJustin so we can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all my content is always posted at my website, JustinBarnes.com. Thanks everyone. Have a terrific week.